welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by Tony and Dave. Hey guys, welcome back for another uh, for, for another another episode of the podcast. Good to be talking to you. Good to be here. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll I'll be here. Fine, fine. <laughs> if I need to be. Right. We drug Dave in. We had to dra- drag Dave away from preparing for another game. I'm sure he would like to run. <laughs> this week, we want to talk about something that's uh, came up a little bit in the in, the, in Facebook and uh, the social media conversations we've been having, which is really what does D and D Fifth Edition do really well? What does it maybe not do so well? And what are some things that we do to either lean into it or work around the things that don't work so well, or even some other systems that we draw inspiration from? This has come up before. You know, we've all talked a little bit about how we have things we like in other systems, like the Marvel Face Rip system. Uh, we've talked about uh, we've, we've talked about um, what uh, Trail of Cthulhu does with their clue rules and how that works around possibly players missing important things because they, they blew a roll. Uh, so, you know, it's really we're going to take a look at Dungeons and Dragons from that. 50,000 foot view of if we have this game and we have other systems we could use or other types of things we want to do, what does this game really excel at? What do we really get to do with it that works really great? And what are some things that maybe we wish it did better that we either work around or just kind of set to the side? So, uh, you know, with that, that is a starting point. I think really where we want to start with is let's talk about what Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition specifically does really well. So what do you guys think? What, what What's your favorite thing that this does well? Well, I like that they've finally made a real effort to prevent my bosses from getting hosed. I really appreciate <laughs> that. You know, I've gone on and on about that, about my fourth edition scenarios, even sometimes in my second edition games where I brought this boss. I'm like, okay, here he is. Dun, dun, dun. They don't come in and blitz him. And I'm like, well, it's round one and a half, and he's basically chewed up. This fight's <laughs> over. Or he's hit by some effect, which has him in a lockdown, and it's essentially over. So uh, I certainly like the legendary resistances. I like the specifically targeted saving throws. That That's, that's a very well thought out set of mechanics right there. Yeah, kind of building up the the big bad battles so that they're actually big and bad and aren't just you know hey I took a shot in the dark and hit him. You know your bad guy. You, you, although there are still a couple, I will say powered word kill at ninth level will kill anything with less than a hundred hit points, no save. So fair things like that in mind. Totally fair. That, that was true though. I mean they definitely made it a little better for that. What about you, Dave? What what is it that you think the system does the best for you? From the fifty thousand foot view, is it allows for. Uh, the, one of the whole reasons that we're here uh, doing this podcast and why there's so much content out there is because 5e has cast such a wide net for tabletop gaming. I think that's one of the reasons that it's it's become a very big target now, too. So a lot of people want to take pot shots and say what it doesn't do, which uh, which we're going to talk about. But, you know, it yeah. never it never claimed that it was going to either, you know, but I love I think the the rule set is streamlined. Yeah incredibly to allow for a robustness of play while still allowing people who have never sat down at the table to actually play. Because I remember trying to teach myself Pathfinder and then teach other people as we're going to start the game how to play it. And it was, it, you might as well, it, I mean, it's it's true when they call it Mathfinder. It's, uh, <laughs> it, gets, it gets crazy. It gets absolute insanity. That's um, a very good point, Dave. 
Yeah, but I think it also does well what D&D has always done well. D&D is a very specific type of game. It's a very specific type of role-playing game, you know, that's kind of based on, you know, for lack of better terms, kicking down dorks, uh, kicking down doors and killing orcs, Those right? Dorks. Or, killing, or kicking dorks. Maybe it's for kicking dorks, I think. <laughs> Maybe that original. Yeah, as I remember. That was first. back in the day. And it was mainly we were the dorks getting kicked because of But regardless. And now the tables have turned. Yes. And now we're the cool guys. You know, I like, think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. They say they say nerds are sexy now. Not sure that qualifies for me, but I mean, in general, apparently this is no longer a negative connotation. Um, you know, so we actually had a conversation on social media a few weeks ago. Uh, we had it on our on on the Three Wise DMs Facebook page, and we also had it in a lot of the groups we're in, and, and you know, my D and D, some of the D and D Fifth Edition groups, quite a few groups, and I'll maybe uh, maybe I can link to a few of them in the description here to, to mention where we got these conversations. Dungeon Craft was another one, and we threw the question out there of like, what does D and D do well and not do well? And we did it with a with a Dragonlance meme that compared D&D to Skyrim that probably also got a lot of the hits and views on <laughs> set some people off maybe people were people were upset to see us to talk about you know not being enough dungeons and dragons in dungeons and dragons there's more in Skyrim uh but one of the things you know the conversation really turned to and I, and I presented it as well look I've seen a lot of people because I have say that D&D is terrible without really justifying why they feel that way and i got a lot of people to talk about it you know and that's i wanted to hear that because i wanted to get a sense of what they thought because you start getting this feedback and you start to understand what people are looking for now there's plenty of people who just don't like fifth edition because it's not fourth well because it's not third more than fourth or because it's not second but more than that you kind of get start understanding what people like or don't like like you know like dave like you said fifth edition is very streamlined 3.5 was not, and the whole Pathfinder system yeah. is very, it's very detailed, but you can build up very unique characters that way. There's some people who miss that from, from Absolutely. D&D. Other people go entirely the opposite direction. There's plenty, it's funny, you have one person saying, what I love about D, what I hate about D&Ds is not tactical enough, and then other people saying, what I hate about D&Ds is too tactical. Like, it's totally, <laughs> like, they planted this really right in the center of what most people want, where, see, a, a lot of people thought it was too, too, the rule set was too heavy, too combat focused, didn't give them the freedom to do what they wanted. Other people felt the exact opposite, that it wasn't combat focused enough, not tactical enough, didn't let you build enough, so it didn't let you do what you they wanted that way. What really does seem like what 5th edition does well, probably what 4th edition did well too, is deliver a very encounter-oriented game where you're kind of going scene to scene rather than like exploring gently through a through through through, through a uh, through a forest or whatever. You're not exploring a map as much as you're kind of having big encounter to big encounter, whether they're a combat encounter or a social encounter or an investigation encounter. And really, when I break down what the books are and compare it to some of things like the old school Renaissance going on right now, like a lot of games that 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 have come out that are going back to trying to recreate the D and D red and blue and white box experience where they really simplify things. What I realize is fifth edition and fourth edition and even third edition one of the things that did really well is they really give the players and the dms toys to play with so i think it's in addition to being great at building a superhero-y kind of game that's high in magic which i think is kind of the table stakes for the DD setting but it can also you can do lower magic if you want to but more than that it's like it really focuses on having encounters and then giving players powers that they get as they level up toys to play with in those encounters and giving dms monsters and traps and features to play with in those encounters but DD does a great job of giving you that you know it's not exactly a video game experience or a minis game experience but it's very it's very toy focused 
we get cool things to play with that we play with mostly during encounters. And because of that, the encounter by encounter structure kind of, you know, kind of figuring out, okay, I want like, like scenes in a TV show. I want my players this week to do this and this and this and this. And you know, they're doing other things where they're just leading to other encounters. Like even in my games, you don't wander too much. You kind of go encounter to encounter. And I think that's really what D&D does well. It gives you the encounter as a, kind of a uh, sandbox to play with your powers in. And I think it does a great job of having exciting games where people enjoy doing that. I would agree with that. No, I would agree with uh, that. Yeah, but that's kind of my my point from earlier, too. That's kind of what D&D always has been, in a way, right? Is that, I mean, in in its earliest iteration, it was literally, here's a dungeon. I I have six levels of it, you know? I mean, the original white box uh, instructions are... As the DM, you have to create a dungeon with at least, I think, I think they say at least six levels. Like they, they spell that out for some, like, I don't know why six is the magic number, but with at least six levels and people would go room to room and clear out dungeons and, and gather treasure and all of that. I mean, you kind of see that with the uh, dungeon, the board game, you know, which was kind of the board game experience of the early days of D&D. So I, I think that what 5e does is it takes all of the other editions and it, puts that together into something that's even more accessible and less uh, less arcane, you know, less archaic and and and, and keeping people away. Well, I want to give Tony a chance here, but I, I will say I actually, I disagree that those are the same game. Because what you describe as like that white box game, the board game style game, to me is totally different from an encounter focused game. That is more going along the board, your encounters are quick. It's just you meet a goblin, you kill a goblin, you move on to your next room. To me, that's more exploration-focused than counter-focused. So, I'm sorry, Tony, I don't want to... So, so Tony, what were you going to say? Okay, backing up to Dave's yeah. point a minute ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, so before we even talk about that, um, one of the criticisms that I've personally heard repeatedly from my veteran gamer friends is that 5e is too simple. I think they're out of their minds. For exactly <laughs> yeah. the reasons why Dave articulated. Yeah. Because yeah. when I sit someone down and I'm like, hey, let me teach you how to play second edition. Let me teach you how to play fourth edition. And then we start talking about our house rules. It's like, get your binder out. Like, I remember recently my buddy's girlfriend wanted to play. So I start teaching. I'm like, this is really simple. And then 22 minutes into my explanation on second edition, I'm like, good God, this is really so much more complicated than I ever imagined. I feel like I'm describing my plot to the party over again. I'm like, this is really simple. And 17 sentences later, and I have my whiteboard with my string, you know, as I'm connecting the dots, I'm like, wow, this is actually rather a lot to uh, take a look at. But you know, I, I feel like, I feel like second edition was simpler to play to an extent, not simpler to DM. Uh, I feel like third edition was a lot more complicated as a player because it was so build focused, but five E is still pretty build focused, but they're not nearly as complicated. Like second edition, I didn't feel like it was build focused. Well, an example of where I think it's streamlined and we got no house rules put to bed is the critical hits. That's done. There's no more crazy specialized charts where I score a 20 and now I'm rolling a D4 and now I'm rolling a D100 and now I've explained I've hit you in the leg with a crippling strike and you're like, but it's a black pudding. And I'm like, ah, you know, this all falls apart. (laughs) But would it blow your mind, though? to point out that the book second edition player's handbook version of a critical hit was, I believe double the damage dice 
add bonuses and you're done. I think that's what the book had. I think everything else you described was a house rule. In Yes, but in that context it was in, it didn't work as well as it does here. In 5e, mm. in this system, the way it is now works. Back then, I'd hit with a, I'd hit somebody with a sort of sharpness on a nat 20, and then I'd roll a 1 and get a 2, and then do 3 points of damage, and then chop off the guy's arm. That's the problem. <laughs> and he's like, I have 100 hit points, and you've chopped my arm off, and I've taken 3 damage. Yeah, and to, to back to piggyback on what Tony was saying, too, because I agree, because I have been in this, as we all have, we have been in the uh, the process of having to explain to someone who has not sat down at a, at a, at a tabletop role-playing game before. They have not played D&D. We all grew up in that crucible. So when we say things like hit points and armor class and, you know, your stat, your stat blocks— don't even get into Thacko. I mean, wildly counterintuitive, right? But um, nah, actually, I it, will I will defend Thacko to my grave. Hold on, I'm not going to say it wasn't a, a better system or anything like that. What I'm saying is that it's the idea of ascending as opposed to descending. Like descending doesn't make any sense to people unless you've already been indoctrinated into the, your arcane arts. It's like using Latin in medicine. It's an effort to keep people away it's to keep the outsiders outside of it because then you have something very special you can talk about when you say strength dexterity intelligence con wisdom and charisma and everyone else doesn't know what the fuck you're talking about and we're like what are you talking about? that's the six stats man you roll 46 drop the lowest right uh so we take a lot of that stuff for granted uh not realizing what it's like for someone coming in for the first time who maybe wants to get involved they have a, a bachelor's program to go through to try to understand it that's a know? big turn off for new players i remember i watched when i was when i was uh learning the pathfinder system and i was like i was gonna have to teach for other people right i watched uh on youtube this guy uh dawn forged cast his his show he had a whole how do you play pathfinder series out and it would be like little like 20 minute things like, how do you build a character? How do you do combat? How do you do? And he was taking his girlfriend through it as like the person. And you could see how complicated it was for him to try to explain it in a way without, well, you already have to understand certain things going in. But like when you say hit points, you automatically know what we're talking about. And then we can have these philosophical discussions about, well, is it really, I mean, it should be called hero points. It's. I mean, it doesn't really reflect the gritty realism of getting hit with, right? But yeah, just like, what the fuck hit points is. Like, that's that's just jargon. You know what I mean? So I think we take a lot of that for granted. And then we say, it's too simple. We'll teach somebody that's never played before and then let me know. <laughs> you know? Amen. But I've done that. You, I mean, most of us have we done that. We all have. I mean, we yeah. all have. But, and then we talk about how it takes them, you know, 6, 10, 24 games to even really start to really grasp the character sheet, too. But isn't, yeah. part of this, isn't part of this, though, that kind of, it almost feels like 5th edition kind of uh, made, made D&D a little more video game logic friendly, you know? Like, I think it was that, already just there. a bad thing. But I mean, we talk about what's simple. Like you mentioned, Thacko wasn't intuitive, but hit points and armor class were. And now they came from D&D originally, but they've also all been a long-standing staples of any role-playing video game. So anyone who comes in who's played MMOs or, or any big RPG generally gets the idea of hit points as health points, you know? So those things stick around in part because they're part of the culture and everyone does get them now. Thacko was specific to D&D, &D, and so it doesn't. 
in some ways, fifth edition is optimized to teach to people who come from a world where we have where we've had decades and decades and generations of video games. I would agree with that, but I think D and D was already there as it went into third and fourth edition, especially. Mm-hmm. It already was kind of uh, because every video game that we play was because D and D came out. Mm-hmm. So everyone has played D and D; they just don't know it. You know, they've just had it shown to them as they're playing, as opposed Especially to having to think about it. You're a Knights of the Old Republic fan, but mm-hmm. I digress. Mm-hmm. Well, but even, I mean, what? Final Fantasy had a lot of similar things. Yeah, maybe it's not a mono system, but I'd say they're all pretty similar. You know, it's, it's they took the D&D ideas and they put them yep. in video games, and we grew up with the, and people grew up with the video games, so now they're kind of part of the culture. Yeah. But the things yeah. that didn't strike you as odder, like Thacko. You know, I think that's kind of part of why Thacko didn't really make it because Thacko didn't match up with the video game culture we were playing in anymore. Where when it was when it was a war game, when it was kind of more of a more of a niche hobby, it didn't matter that much. Right, uh, right. Uh, something else I think Five E does very well. It put an end to all of that uh, spell stacking and item stacking bullshit. <laughs> Concentration me. does it. It does simplify the game, though. I mean, because you can't stack a bunch have of you, it's simpler. Have you? Oh, you mean ever a, got a, a, like the attunement mechanics and stuff like that? No, Not even no, that. no, <laughs> no. Okay, so for example, two two things with this. Have you ever been in an earlier edition where you go up against an opponent, a spellcasting opponent, and they're like, oh, so what's going on with him as far as his magical defenses? Ha, ha, ha. What don't I have on right now? I've got stone skin, globe of major invulnerability uh, okay. up, okay. pure image. Uh, I'm blurred. Uh, I Minimal have 50% spirit. MR. <laughs> yeah. I have 50% MR. And, like, you know, in fact. Let me hand out my sheet with all of my things you have to deal with. Fire shield red. And you're like, okay, so what do we do? We just wait four hours for them to all, you know, the counter to fizzle out. I the think sea- the, the slow the slow blade gets to the shield, though, I think. Or is that the, that's the that's dude? dude. Game. I'm, I'm sorry, that's, that's, dude. No, that's on Arrakis. I, that's only Arrakis. I'm sorry. I mean, mm. you're talking like second edition D&D. You could have. You know, he could have magic resistance because, you know, you, you kind of did that for the, for, the, for the big villains. Stone skins, which was, you know, basically the first yeah. X hits he took were just totally ignored. Yeah, you could. You could. You could stack up those resistances. That was a things. terrible mechanic. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, was, it was made worse because I think it was another one of those ones where the book rule was whenever you're attacked, you lose a stone skin. And the house rule was, no, 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 no. You don't lose a stone skin unless they hit you. Well, e- even if you're attacked. So Thor comes in with his hammer and he swings at you and he connects three times. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm a ninth level wizard. Zero damage, bitch. Ha! I have a fourth level abjuration spell on me. Or it's an alteration. I mean, Fear my amateur hour magic. Like, if we want to talk about what does 5e do better than other D&Ds, which isn't exactly where I was headed. But if we want to talk about that, I would say the number one thing they did the best was balancing the game. It is yeah, way more yeah, balanced yeah. than any other system I've played. Noting I have skipped third. I skipped third because I was playing Magic at the time. <laughs> um, but from you know first, second, fourth, 5e generally, although it has some hiccups, for the most part doesn't have those ridiculous things that make you go, well, gee, I can't do anything about this but house roll against it. Some DMs complain about lucky. Oh, God forbid. You get oh, three my God, have I heard long the rest. That. Dude, like, if this is going to break your game, I, like, I can't help you. Like, I don't think we have enough advice if the lucky feat breaks your campaign. Yeah. Like, I mean. <laughs> I mean we've, we've all played with it. We've all DM'd it. It's, like, it's really good as a player, but it's, it's good because 
it's good because, hey, I had this really cool thing I wanted to do that now failed because of a die roll. And I got a second yeah. chance to pull off the really cool thing. That's really right. what lucky. And is. especially DM so, Foran really likes it because if you guys have seen how he sometimes rolls, even digitally, he needs it sometimes. <laughs> I did roll. I did roll three on like six of seven rolls the other day, and out of the out of those seven, I only hit on one roll out of all the rolls. So yeah, but it was a natural twenty. It was like six yeah. rolls under ten. Three of them were threes, and then I popped a natural twenty. Well, here's my insight on lucky. Okay, let's just say, and this comes back to what I was saying earlier about uh, before we started recording about the your power in your character is really with your skills and abilities versus mm-hmm. your stats and your items. So say you're lucky, okay, and you throw – and Dave is, is a wizard. He throws a magical mind-affecting attack on my fighter, and I've got a save, and I blow my save. Well, here comes Lucky to save the day. Maybe not. Maybe. What's, yeah, what's my fighter's wisdom save? I bet he doesn't have proficiency in wisdom. Odds are he – and I just did this in Dave's game where I used mm-hmm. DM Inspiration. He cast a mind-affecting spell on my Barbarian, and he blew the save twice. In fact, I blew two saves to, in two separate scenarios. Now, exactly. You like, totally got the – you got that one save that I was just – I was just wishing that you that you missed. <laughs> and it would have been so sweet. <laughs> I would say, like, as someone who's played with Lucky, the, the, the best way to use Lucky – is generally not to chase roles you were not going to make, but to try to use it on roles where you had a high probability and just failed the roll. Yeah. Like, yeah. if you got to roll a 15 or higher to make it, you're wasting a lucky. If you had to roll a 5 or higher and you rolled a 4, well, that's a good time to throw in a lucky. I mean, because you're probably going to make it. You don't want to waste it. <laughs> um, so, Dave, what was the uh, effect you were going to throw on uh, my Barbarian that you're wishing that uh, I failed that save? Was it Charm? Uh- no, I yeah, I was uh, I was playing with the voodoo doll. Oh, hilarious! Right, 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 I was right. playing with the voodoo doll, and yeah, it was uh, yeah. Well, what are you gonna do? It's all right. So, I mean, we've been talking about uh, all the stuff D and D five E does well. Um, and when I, just to complete my thought, I was saying, you know, five E people complain about lucky being broken. There are clearly some things that are a little broken, but whew, I still think it is. I think they, they took several years playtesting this before they released it. I think it totally shows. The game system yeah. does fit together better. But that's maybe a good jumping off point to what do we feel like 5e doesn't do as well? And I'll kind of kick off here because you know, I mentioned it a little bit when I was saying how good it is as an encounter-based game. And it's really, really good at capturing that sense of, okay, we're going to have a story tonight. It's going to be a series of these dangerous or or otherwise challenging, contentious encounters, whether it's looking for something, talking to someone, or fighting something. And we're going to have those encounters. And what's in between is a little bit of filler, and we move on. What I think D&D 5th Edition is not so good at is actually, Dave, exactly what you were saying you felt like it like D&D always was. And what I would say Redbox and 1st and 2nd Edition were more of, I don't think it's that great at kind of a wandering exploration type of game. Like in fifth edition, the highlight is not the time you spend exploring the forest. As much as exploration is considered to be one of the kind of the X's, one of the core mechanics, it feels a little bit like role-playing felt in fourth edition, which is yes, you can do as much of it as you want to do, but the system doesn't really embrace it or endorse it. And when you're doing your exploration or when you were doing role-playing in fourth edition, a little bit in fifth, but better in fifth. Yeah, you could do as much as you want it, but you weren't playing in the system, which meant all the time people spent leveling up and optimizing characters and planning on what to do didn't feed into your role-play. And if fourth and fifth edition doesn't feed into your exploration, there is one character that does have good exploration abilities, 
which is the Ranger. Most of those just make exploration go a lot easier. Um, I don't. I just feel like it's hard to wring tension out of exploration until you ambush them somewhere. Like okay. there's not the same exploration kind of mechanics. Yeah, when you're saying it that way, I'm okay. Because now I'm I'm like the way I'm thinking about it is because then when you when you when you talk about okay, well, how to make travel interesting and how do you make it, you know, and it it kind of always comes down to throwing an encounter somehow, right? So it's always <laughs> exactly. some yeah. right, and I I didn't really think about it in that in that term, but yeah, I mean, I guess so. I mean, but what would be is there something to make exploration more? I, I, well, it depends. I mean, are you going yeah. to use some skill checks here? You know, get the whole party involved in this. Don't let just one person, you know, monologue their way through like that entire section there. Mm. Yeah, encounters, of course. And it's supposed where their story beats are. I mean, if you're using this milestone XP, which I am a super enormous fan of, then okay. If part of my game is for them to clear X amount of space or discover X amount of space then great, that's a successful game. But if you're like, well, all right, guys, you're level seven and you killed X amount of monsters, so you each get 4,000 XP, you're like a sixth of a way to a level, then that stinks. And also, to piggyback on that too, because we kind of talked about this in previous episodes too, is that when you when you start to break out into things like exploration and investigating things, some people feel that's where the game starts to slog a little bit, you know, like Thorne, we were talking the one time about like, how much do you, do you let them explore a room? Do you just say, oh, well, roll me investigate check. And if you hit DC 15, then I'm going to give you all the shit that's in there. Right. Or, well, you didn't really take a look at that one brick on the fireplace that looked funny that you caught. So I think that the mechanics are there, but that might be where people want to slog because they want the encounter they want the to use the shiny toys that you know that type of thing but that's you know but that's what i mean though by the system kind of having strengths and weaknesses because mm. that means that that's the fact that investigation doesn't feel like something you want to spend time in is an indication that the system kind of sets it sets you up to get to your encounters although you yeah. can't have an investigation okay. as an encounter you can kind of do an investigation as a series of skill checks and, and things that let you hone in on things. And yeah, that's not a bad way to do a room investigation. But there isn't that sense of, like, along with the exploration aspect, there's also the sense of exploration dangers. Like, it is hard to die in 5th edition. You're not really going to starve someone <laughs> that's to on my list. mechanics. But it's not really like, you know, it, it kind of takes you out of the game, right? It's like now we're playing something totally different if I'm starving you somewhere. I think there's other games that probably do do that better. Yeah, sure, sure. Of, is this your best choice if you want to do those, or how do you adjust it to do them? Tony, I'm sorry, what were you saying? Yeah, no. Uh, character death is uh, something I think that there's an, uh, there's a there's a degree of an issue with. Because honestly, like look what happened in Dave's game. Uh, Shannon was like the rogue was mortally wounded. She was like one hit point, and then she gets hit again for some catastrophic damage. Like ah, she's at the zero. It's oh, okay. <laughs> oh yeah, she was. Oh my god. That, she I was died and, about that. and then and then she did die and then she just picked up with like a third level spell. Like you're, yeah, you're as for dead. um as for that, it was funny too because like 
like I was as I'm rolling out um, for for everyone uh, in the listening audience. Uh, spoiler alerts for Curse of Strahd, regardless, whatever. So the party uh, came upon uh, Baba Baba Saga, uh, who they renamed Pasta Lasagna, uh, which is totally sticking. By the way, I think I'm going to send Chris Perkins an email and see if I can get him to change that in a revamp edition. As her body is to the fourth. But the, the creeping hut, which does stupid levels of damage. So it straight up killed the rogue uh, with, you know, I think I was like 104. Uh, yeah, no, you, you, you like, like it was that. like that. It was like, no, she's dead, dead. It like, was she, so beyond mass. You hit a crit yeah, on, she on died three solid hits. But it's true, Tone, like you said, like that's, you, okay, it could have been 70 hit points, it could have been 352, it's still just dead, right? Mm-hmm. Except for things like disintegrate or power word kill or something. or eating you. I mean, you could you could implement that in that situation. It's just then you kind of seem like a massive jerk. You, yeah, you could say exactly. that she was hit so hard that her body is obliterated. And, you know, you if you can bring her parts together, if you, if you can find it in her heart to restore her, which is now somewhere over on that tree, <laughs> you can bring her back to life. But, like, I mean, so unless well, you're going to say things like, you know, your body was obliterated and you can't be brought back, it's pretty easy. Yeah, and me- also, like, it, that really can suck the fun right out of the room, too, you right. know? If it's like that as well. I so. mean, that's, that's a real double-edged sword. It really is because on one hand, it's like, hey, I'm now eight, nine games into this character and they've dead. This is terrible. And then the other players looking back and going, wow, we really can't die unless we all wipe. And that's another problem. Is it a problem or a challenge for the DM? Going to the nuclear option, but I don't want to, that, that's a point <laughs> we could spend really a lot of time talking about. One See, we thing I don't think... We, we, we absolutely could have TPK'd against Baba Lasaga, especially against that hut. Yeah. We did get pretty lucky. We killed Baba Lasaga herself, surprisingly. I thought she had rounds left. I mean, we had, there was a, there, there, we did knock her out of the sky at one point. She took some falling, extra falling damage. Um, uh-huh. We yeah. did a lot of bad things. We, we did a lot of things. That no, were not, but you guys that also was, did a lot of great thinking through it, too. Yeah. You know, you went, you know, like Tony's character went to the hut. He tried to get inside, you know, and that type of stuff. So, you guys completely, you know, you tactically, you didn't just go, okay, well, we just got to start fighting this thing, you know? So what do you guys find the D&D, fifth edition, doesn't do as well as you wish it did? Uh, grappling and unarmed combat. Pretty shallow. You know, it's Super one of the, shallow. I, I've said this yeah. a few times, like, you know, we talk all the time about maybe building out house rules here and there and releasing them. That yeah. is one of the ones where I feel like there's a ton of meat on the bone. Like, there's a lot of room to explore that. Like, Dave's wrestling rules really filled that in very nicely. Well, there's, 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 there's a start to it. There's a start to it. I'm not going to share them with our – I'll share them with the audience at some point when we when we, when we I think it's a little more built out. This was very specific for Tony's character, Hawk, because he's playing the pro wrestler angle so hard. I took, I in essence took Vince McMahon some called and some actually. bunk things <laughs> and I threw them together to try to create some something that made grappling matter, you know, because it really doesn't when you when you look at the feats and stuff. It just if you want to be a, a real pugilist or a, or just like a, a grappler, there's really nothing for you, you know. Yeah. There's there's two points I want to make here super fast. Uh, one. Yeah, getting grappled is much different. Like, for example, a bunch of guys try to dogpile on someone, and it's a different connotation in fifth. Like, well, you're grappled. Well, what does that mean? Well, I'm still punching you in the face. That's what that means. Two, with unarmed combat, even with larger creatures, I believe, like, you could be in a situation where, like, an 
Ogre gets an oppor- attack of opportunity with a backhand, what's the damage on that? It's not high. I've read somewhere on Reddit. I thought it was like a, still a point of damage straight up plus his strength bonus. Yeah, it's it's one plus your strength bonus. That's it. Well, yeah, unless you're a monk. Unless maybe he's I a mean, monk with an ogre. ogre though, with an actual ogre, I'd probably there's probably some other. I don't know what I don't remember offhand what the school what the natural weapon rules are for things like ogres. But it might be like d6 plus strength. It's still you know it's it's but, still not ridiculous. It's not like his club. And also like you know especially if you have really high strength. So you're a you're a fighter with a 20 strength and you've got I don't know plate mail gauntlets on and you crack someone in the face i mean that, well, there, is, that. there is no mechanic for like kind of like the armor as a weapon which has some pros and cons if you want to do it but i could see that certainly i mean at the same time even if you figure out though like so even if you're hitting with like a sword if you're hitting with a long sword for a d8 and you have a plus five to your strength bonus it might surprise you to know the bulk of your average damage is still coming from that strength bonus because if you, you your D8 longsword is going to do an average of four to five damage, 4.5, and you're adding five from your strength bonus. So your strength bonus is still, even from the biggest weapons in the game, the the uh, the, the, the the D12 weapons, I know there's the 2D6 greatsword. 2D6 greatsword, that's an average of seven, so that'd be seven plus five on average. With a D12, it's six and a half. You know, So I mean, for the most part, your strength, unless you're with the, using the biggest weapons, your strength bonus probably is at least half your damage anyway. Which actually, uh, you know, I'll come back to that. Because, Dave, so what about you? What's something that you kind of think it doesn't do as well as you wish it did? Oh, boy. I don't... Be honest here. He's, you know, Dave Dave is still in the honeymoon period with this game. He's really kind of just gotten into it. (laughs) He's still like, oh, I love everything about my D&D 5th edition. There's no warts on her. She doesn't Uh, fart in the bed yet. No, there I think there are absolutely things that... uh, There's a lot of stuff from, uh, from my time with Pathfinder that... Uh, I thought was great that really improved a lot of the things that people have a problem with in the game. My issue is, and this is what I kind of keep coming back to, and every time I see it on on posts or anything like that, it's the same thing. The more uh, the more customization and complexity and and gritty realness that you create in a game, the more mechanics you have to create for that. This goes all the way back. So I remember I read uh, Rise of the Dungeon Master, which was a graphic novel, all about uh, Gygax and Arson creating D&D. It's really cool because it's cool artwork in it, whatever. But it always kind of came down to that between Gygax and Arson. They said, like, Gary thought that there was, at least this is what Arneson says, that Gary always thought there was a rule for every, anything that could happen, there was a rule for it. And Arneson was way more kind of let it sit on top and let the story evolve as it is. And I think that's what we're still kind of debating because mm-hmm. Pathfinder is awesome. Like, especially skills, like the skills mechanics in Pathfinder are light years beyond 5e. They're also super, super crunchy. Like, oh my God, I would have to continue to go back to the rule book to remember how do I do skills? That's how difficult it was. But to allow for a customization to create Sherlock Holmes or something. It was phenomenal, but it creates complexity. I think with skills, there's also an opportunity there because on the surface, they're fine. Until we start going to, well, I'm going to try to lift this car. Well, Thorne can assist me. Now I have an advantage. Well, you know, what if Pee Wee Herman was assisting me? I get (laughs) advantage. Also, let me take this further. What if you, Dave Thorne, and Pee Wee Herman were all trying to lift? No, doesn't help anymore. Only one person can assist. 
Tony's lifting the car. You guys are all standing around giving me moral support. And well, that's, I'll, throw, yeah. I'll throw that back. At, I'll throw that back to the rules, though, because honestly, if you have one person lifting a car as a strength check, fine. If you have a bunch of people lining up, you should probably take their 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 lift encumbrance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not encumbrance, but there is a there's a maximum lift because you would just total up their maximum lift, right? Right. But just to spin this on its head, what if we're all trying to solve a math problem? And it's like, okay, we're trying to solve this problem. Someone's assisting me. Now I have advantage. Can we all put our heads together? Can we all get – and that's where it gets a little mushy. Well, Isn't that's where I think – I mean, you didn't see anyone else in the room with a beautiful mind, right? I mean, when Einstein's doing math, maybe one person gives him good advice. He doesn't have a team with him. Well, that's assuming that he's the only intellectual character in the room. Like, I can't put, well, if I put so- a – so yeah, I Tony, I, I get exactly where you're going with it. And it goes right back to what I was just saying. Yeah. There are absolutely ways in which you can create the most realistic types of things to happen. Or you could have a system like advantage disadvantage that on the fly, I immediately can make a ruling and the game keeps going. To Thorin's point, which lets us get to the next encounter to play with our shiny objects, right? So to mm-hmm. keep game flow and game pace going, you know, in that way. But yeah, there are absolutely ways to make all of this stuff more realistic. And Thorne has talked about his armor ideas. And, That's on the list, yeah. And all of that, you know. Mike where's, Merle, my, where's my katana? Said, uh, Mike Merle's made a point that, uh, you know, because everyone had a problem with what certain uh, – weapons only do certain damage and it's like oh a dagger does just two less than a a long sword and he's like we could absolutely change that just start using the mean damage that they give you you know so you notice in the monster manual now or like with the hit die right you can take the, the hit die or you can take the average the same thing they do with the damage if you look at every single monster stat it has that average damage so instead of rolling 40 10 you say oh it does 33 Every time. Yeah. Boom, boom, but if anything, boom. that actually smashes them more together. Because your averages only go up by one. Like, it's no, but what I'm saying is, like, they could then create uh, just a number for mm. a longsword, a number for a dagger, a number for a, a halberd. You know what I mean? Yeah, I just, I kind of feel like this going, I mean, I get that they could do that. I get they do it in the monster manual. I kind of feel like if they did that, though, it would even make it less diversified. Because with the with lower variance, I don't feel like, it, I think it makes it look even closer together, how much well, damage the, they do. Well, the math aside, I feel like there's just things missing uh, from the roster of arms and equipment. I know Thorns put together something that's very in-depth. But, well, you know, yeah. I mean, honestly, that... I, totally, I, I totally agree. And it's one of the things I'm a bit of a history buff. I'm a bit of a historical kind of weapons and armor buff, especially. And I do feel like, man, I wish there was, you know, I talk about meat on the bone with the wrestling. I wish there was, you know, I kind of think there's a lot of meat left on the bone with your weapons and your armor. And I do want items to matter a little more than they do. But at the same time, we get into it. I don't want a grittier system necessarily. You know, I kind of like the way hit points work and I get, I like how armor class works. But I do wish it made a more of a distance. I, I, 
like I, I think it'd be cool if, you know, there was more reach involved because you do have a difference between like the reach on a dagger and the reach on a longsword right now are the same. And they really shouldn't be, even mm. though the longsword should not have the same reach as a polearm as like a, as, as a glaive, because like it's almost like it should be done in increments of five, ten and fifteen or maybe two and a half, five and seven and a half or something like armor wise. Yeah, I just brigadine is something we've talked about this a little bit in the in the Facebook group. Brigadine was a really common type of armor. It's basically it's metal plates inside of like a uh, cloth or, or leather jerkin, essentially. But it's not leather armor. It's not studded leather armor. You are literally wearing plate. It's a type of plate. It's almost like somewhere like almost like a half plate or, or kind of a variation on a breastplate or at least, you know, maybe banded. Um, it just feels like it should be in there as its own thing because right? it really was... It was, I would think, better than banded. Archers wore it. It was a little easier to put on yourself. It was something that you could easily kind of move around, more easily move around in than full plate. You know, I would like some more of those types of things in there. I wish it reflected the fact that a dagger can't reach as far as a longsword, which can't reach as far as a, as a halberd. You know, things yeah. like that. I do kind of miss, I did in second edition used to play with bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage that, uh, not damage, but they had a chart in there for weapons had a, had a, had a, up to a plus two or minus two against different kinds of armor. Like uh, chainmail was better at stopping slashing than it was at stopping piercing or bludgeoning. Piercing. Yeah. You know, I like that. Although, but to Dave's point though, all of that stuff does add complexity. Mm. Um, the other side is when you start to talk about it, people start assuming you want other things. Like people are like, Oh, so you want it to be grittier and have people die at one hit. No, it's not what I'm saying at all. I don't want that. I just want to be able to build a cooler character with his equipment. You know, I want to be able to get into more of that stuff and just have a little more depth like you had with the second edition arms and equipment guide because I find that fun. But the design choice to make the powers more important than your equipment and your equipment choices takes us away from that. And honestly, when I look at other systems, most other systems also move away from that. Like a lot of the stuff you you find, even that came up in our Facebook discussions about here's other good systems to try. Most of them also simplified arms and armor. So this might just be a thing where I'm going against the, the run of play here. You know, <laughs> maybe most of the community is moving. You know, we don't care. Like, like just just flatten it out. And I'm like, no, I want it to be cool. Thorns <laughs> like I want to fight with a back to Corbin. I, I will say one thing that I one thing that I would like to see done. I have seen things from released some stuff on Unearth Arcana about it. I've seen uh, Matt Colville was working some with it, I believe, in uh, one of his releases. I would love to see a really good mass combat mechanic. Something to allow these epic battles that we all want to play through to actually like feel that way. You know, yeah. to have a mechanic that makes sense, that doesn't just become, you know, Make 342 rolls for the archers, you know, right. I mean, <laughs> or something. You know, it doesn't turn into yeah. a game of Warhammer or something, right? So I think that would be something cool. But, you know, and I've seen some some interesting thoughts on it. Do you remember that's, what is the name of the, the Colville expansion? Because I believe that's almost out. I know he's actively on uh, like He's in the well, back end of his, his playtest. He's playtest. one, uh, Strongholds and Followers. That's um, the, yeah. And the new one, I think, I think it's Kingdoms and Warfare. And that might be okay. where he's playing with mass combat stuff. The first one was where he's playing with, because back in the day, back in the day, um, as a fighter or whatever, like you would become a, a, a landed knight. You know, you would have land and a keep and a, and people and followers and all these kind of things. Baby. Like, and they kind of did away Same with level. it. And he's like, I really want that. <laughs> you know? well, so. Actually. 
That kind of brings me to a, a point where this has been a problem through really all editions of D&D, except I think fourth may have handled it very well in some respects to a detriment as well, is what am I doing with my gold? Yeah, like just excessive levels of gold. Right? If I'm a wizard, I can buy spells. Great. So I'm a barbarian, and I don't want to buy a key. Now what? Yeah. You know, I think what I'm kind of getting at dovetails with this, which is I think the game could use, as much as it could use a more build-out unarmored combat, I think it could also use a more build-out buying, like just an economic and equipment system. It could use more stuff as far as what can you do with your money. And how can you make it interesting? And how can you buy something that gives you one advantage but a disadvantage here? Like some trade-off type of things. So this is why I introduced a magical item shop in my Storm King's Thunder game. Mm-hmm. Because now I can, instead of me racking my brain trying to pick out an interesting treasure for my players, here's gold, guys. Go shop. Done. <laughs> Works really well. Does work very well so far. I mean, we'll see how it plays out. You know, something that was introduced around 7th level or 6th level when we just hit 8th. Am, am I right in that game? So, like, we've had it for a level. Um, and we, uh, cool we're getting some that, hefty gold, too. <laughs> the, the other cool thing you did with that was the tent. The tent that allowed us to step inside for a eight-hour rest, but it only takes us one minute. So kind of the Final Fantasy-style save tent, which we really want to see get a meter so we can just plug coins into it. So That's what we hope, want to see the is parking meter. Yeah, just walk around <laughs> with a parking meter. You stick it in the ground. It makes a tent. You plug your 10,000 gold uh, into it or whatever. And you go oh, and you I want to see it. I want to see fun. the new PMG. I- <laughs> I, I, I like the idea, but I, don't know, I feel it's like a little Monty Hall. I have it currently set at a disposable level. But um, <laughs> I also I, I let them let the players buy clues they missed. I have Which a is good, because my... we're missing a lot of clues. Well, there's a lot of stuff to do, and we also have limited time. Like, again, the, remember the environment. Like, if we were playing over Dave's house every week, then, yeah, we would be, like, going around every oh, rock. Whoa, whoa. And every Why is it time. automatically my house? I mean, come on. Well, <laughs> this is a nice house. Yeah. No, we have a lot of good you know, space. Have a great place. Yeah. We're trying to. One of these days, we're going to build the dungeon out, you know, and really have it like Open the jump next year. See if you can get rid of us. Another thing that other D, uh, systems as a whole, well, I mean, systems in addition to have always been hit a kind of logical hard place with. For example, let's say you have a, I don't know, you have a wizard. And yeah. he's sticking back in a town. And he's like, you know what? I want to learn how to use a longsword. And I have to turn to him and go, well, okay. He's like, I have a guy who'll teach me, and I have time, and I'll pay him. Well, or cleric. Somebody who doesn't get it. Not even necessarily wizard. And that, I, that weapon proficiency normally. Then it's like, well, you got to level up. And then you need to use a feat. So it's like, so no matter how much time passes or how much time I try to learn how to use this, it's by the rules, it's not happening. It does kind of get you back to the classic question of should you let them level up in the middle of a session or should you make them go back and train for a week or a month or a year or something? Well, I don't uh, expect this yeah, level, right, right. but like, yeah. you know, like what, what if, you know, uh, the fighter wants to try to, to learn a skill he doesn't have? And he doesn't have a feat handy to to burn that mm. on Jack of all trades. So I mean, it makes and, sense because I mean, well, I guess it's a matter. It, well, one, I totally I agree. It does come down to kind of this. It's like this question of okay, so do feats rec, do feats represent that time you spend, or is your time and money something separate you can invest on your own regardless of leveling? I have to say, your time is an asset in the game. Like how you're spend mm. your character spends their time. So you've made a contact. Say you want to learn how to use a longsword or lockpick, or sing, or 
be, become, uh, to learn more about history. Well, someone's prepared, a sage is going to teach you about history. An artist is going to teach you how to sing. And you're prepared to put, invest your character time in there, then the character should get to learn how to do that. As long as something, nothing totally ridiculously outrageous where the barbarian's like, I want a spell cast. Well, and I will say so that all of these things are feedable. For that. But yeah, all of these things do have feedable. I mean, in all, in all respects, though, if we really break that out, though, if you wanted to become proficient in a longsword, let's say as a wizard, or you wanted to become proficient in history, right? So, and it's just history. So that literally opens up the, the, the box for any kind of history, right? It kind of fits into the leveling system, though, and taking feats or multi-classing, because if you really broke out a calendar for how long our party has been here and already learned many new skills and, and, and proficiencies, we've been on the road for like two months, tops, right? So to really learn this, you know, to become proficient in a martial weapon, that would take serious tutorship over long periods of years, possibly. Well, you know, with me here, like I've actually learned how to fight with weapons. So, I mean, if you're learning the Shaolin staff and all the forms in that, and you want to say I need eight months for that, that's one thing. Now, say I wanted to learn how to use, just say the rogue wants to learn how to use a great sword. Just example throwing that out there. Say he's going to invest the time. He's staying at this village. He has a tutor. He's paying for it. And yeah. he's not leaving until he does. Right. But that's going to take him a good amount of time where he could get that martial feat then because by that point, he's gotten another level where he okay. can grab a feat. Yeah. Well, he's yeah, not going to learn that in two of... weeks. You're not going to learn how to be proficient in great swords in two weeks. Like, I bet you have to find you an, a great sword in two weeks class if I really look. Montante. Yeah. Oh, you could. Oh, yeah. yeah, at the local uh, Y. And then good <laughs> luck in a fucking fight. <laughs> um, hey, don't, don't shit on the Y. Isn't this really? I love the karate kid too. But you're asking <laughs> fucking Miyagi with a summer of fucking Miyagi tutor shit. Like, it just didn't happen, dude. But this does come down to just kind of what kind of how do you want your game world to work? So, I mean, Tony wants them to be able to spend their time and money on these sorts of things. Uh, in, the, in the game right now, as it is, doesn't support it very well. It does roll it up into your leveling. Um, you can have a philosophical discussion about would you be able to learn this stuff? Like, from the one point of view, you can say, well, that's how you spent your time, so you gain that feat instead of something more central to your character, and that's one way to look at it, and that is kind of the, the idea that a Renaissance man can never be as good at all the things as someone who focused on them. On the other hand, it's a fantasy game, and if you want to spend your time and money to go do something in the DM wants a world where you can do that, and that lets you expand your abilities, and everyone gets that opportunity. Power to you. Yeah, more it's just, but there isn't a system for it. Like, it doesn't really yeah. fit together with D&D as it is, and I think this is, this is kind of what we're talking about, right? D&D doesn't, as it's made, 5th edition doesn't give you stuff to do with your money. These are other things you could do with your money, other ways you could kind of, other systems you can implement. But as it stands, really treasure in general is only so important in D&D 5th edition. Yes. The game is very character focused, very encounter focused, very much your superhero is leveling up to do new things. He finds some cool stuff, but really the highlight, the, in the, the intentional design focus is on your player character's be you know on their character abilities and on their on their character journey not on the hey i got cool i got i found cool things what do i do with them i've seen yeah. some rules for fixing that for instance there's some people who really recommend that giving out xp for gold changes the, the the way people play fifth edition that if you give out xp for gold all of a sudden now people are slowing down to make sure they find all the secrets or for gold piece value not just gold but for gold piece value of what you find instead of just the monsters you take on or just your yeah. uh 
milestone, well, that slows people down and makes them look because looking does level them up. And Tony, that does come back to what happened in Storm King's Thunder this week, uh, where there was the the, 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 the stone giant hall. Um, kind of the, they have all these rooms in the mountains that we didn't see most of because we kind of just fast forward it right through and we walked right into the throne room. We, we, we did take out a couple guards. And the next couple guards we found, we talked about taking us to the queen. We met the queen. We had a fight and we got the stuff and we left and we didn't check out the rest of the places. Like we, like we really didn't do the exploration because, well, why would we? We're on a clock. We have no yeah, very hard we're just going to get right to the end and get I to the was next thing. You were yeah, also I had a Rex. Yes, I wish I could have seen that visual in some kind of MMO. That would have been fantastic. <laughs> I thought about throwing one up from like from like Jurassic World or something. <laughs> this sickly Vincent Price bard turning into a fucking T Rex. Yeah, or a giant monkey. I I, I would love to see the. the I did the like visual. him better as Great Big, just because I thought the flavor was better. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely more his style. I think. He was just trying out some new new plus, threads, you know. Plus, wasn't Great Ape a drummer? Didn't he drum in the band at one point? I thought he did. He, he might have. So. Yeah, I think he might have. So he's a bard. The Tyrannosaurus <laughs> Rex is not a bard. He doesn't have arms. The Tyrannosaurus Rex can't drum. His arms are too short. No, no, no. More of a singer. Yeah. So I think, you know, we've covered a few of the things here that really do come up. Saying they come up short really doesn't do the game justice because it's not that it's not that fifth edition is bad at these things. It's that fifth edition has chosen to do to focus on other things. And the kind of game fifth edition focuses on is more like a movie or more like a TV show where you mm -hmm. basically have superpower characters doing heroic things over a series of scenes. Um, you get to your climax and bang, you're done the week and you get on the next week and you kind of fast forward exploration, you fast forward travel. Uh, you don't really worry too much about how much money they have or what they do with it. You just skip ahead. I mean, those are the, cause those are the things that aren't emphasized by the system. You can, as a DM, put those things in. No one is stopping you. It's just that then you are adding something. You're basically stepping out of the system to add this other thing in. Which brings up a really good point a lot of the people made when we talked about the other systems on the, on Facebook, which is why shoehorn this stuff into 5th edition when you could just go learn another game? It's a legitimate comment. A lot of people who are very invested in the indie roleplay space get insulted that more people don't go try other games when they want these other things. But, you know, sometimes it will be you – know, I do feel like it'd be – I feel like it's a little risky to come to my group and say, hey, let's stop playing D&D &D and let's learn another game that I don't know how it's going to be and get them to go along with it and have a good time and keep that group together. Because if that game fails, maybe the group falls apart. You know, I think there's some risk involved there. What do you guys think? Better to mod or to try something else? I mean, my answer there would be, what's the learning time for this new game? I'm always yeah. up to learn something new. Great. But like we're talking about like the classic Marvel game. I'm still not sure to this day if I'm playing that correctly. It's that complicated. Like riffs. Oh my God. You want to build a character sheet? I mean, I love the system, but sit down, get a pot of coffee, start adding up your skills, the individual percentages on each skill. Holy shit. You've got your primary skills, your skills, your secondary skills, the skills your parents taught you, the skills you learned at boot camp. Your, I mean, really, that skill list has got to be 40 skills on there easy and you can start with like 16 to 18 of them that's <laughs> not unbelievable so sure so i would love to try it but what's my start time dave yeah. no i i was gonna if you didn't say i knew you were probably gonna say it because you had made that point uh earlier uh and it's a good point it's it takes a lot to learn these systems you know i mean with D, &D like it's something that's always always kind of been around right it kind of started the whole thing i think also that's why a lot of systems still 
Not all of them, definitely not all, but a lot of them kind of use some similar mechanics because it's something that people understand. They use some similar stats. They use, you know, that type of stuff because it's understandable. It's part of the jargon. I'm so always, we, I'm always up for like I've been telling Thorin, I, I would love to play like Call of Cthulhu or Trail of Cthulhu at some point with us. I'd love to run a Marvel game, you know, for people who have played, people who haven't. But yeah, there's a big time investment, and there's a lot of games out there. And a lot of people say some of them are phenomenal, like the Gumshoe system for. Uh, investigating and things like that is supposed to be phenomenal, but there's only so much time, you know. And you do, I, I mean, well, one thing I would just throw out there, Dave, you mentioned that some of these games are very similar to D&D. Part of that is intentional in that Wansi with 3rd edition, 4th edition, and 5th edition released the uh, SRD, the System yeah. Reference Document anyone yeah. could build with, which was, one, I think is actually a really great stroke because some of the things, as you've mentioned, other people are using the SRD to build out. So there is, you know, Matt Colville building the Keeps and Followers and the Castles and Kingdoms expansions. Third party, once he doesn't want to make it, they're leaving it open to third parties to do it. They're supporting third parties doing it. I think that's great. I think oh, that absolutely. really does help. I think that really does help mm. the ecosystem. And it does mean that actually even, so looking at the, uh, the OSR, the old school Renaissance RPGs, and there's a bunch of them out there. Oh, yeah. Almost all of them are based on D20, the third edition system, uh, because it was open source. They basically took it, they streamlined it. They took the what was in the red, the red, blue, and white boxes. They took them, they streamlined them, yeah. they made them D20 uh, compatible, and they had a good system that was because D20 was a nice streamlined system, and you had these rules without all the baggage, and you now have a really old school experience that is more, more dangerous, more hardcore, more simple. And more and, and and just you know that they're it's a more streamlined play experience apparently and there's several of these that do this. On the flip side, Watsi and doing that also did I think intentionally shift the ecosystem more towards people that were compatible with their kind of gaming. Because if you compare like any D20 game to Call of Cthulhu, Call of Cthulhu is a very different kind of game. It's a percentage system, so you have percent chances. Any any skill you have is a percentage. Uh, so you're rolling like a D it's, it's not, it's not D 100 quote unquote, but it's percentile. And in that system, it is, you know, you get a totally different gameplay experience. You almost never fight. You try to avoid combat because it's super deadly. You're really looking to investigate, to learn things, to talk to people, to get things out of them. DMing it actually is very hard sometimes because you've got to be on the money with your conversational skills. I've played that with a DM who wasn't, who, who kind of was struggling connecting with the players in the conversation side of things. And it really does make the game hard because you're not getting to the clues. You've got to kind of, you have to be able to position the game in such a way where even though the players can't read your mind, they can still find the clues. This is mm. not so easy, but it's a totally different gameplay experience than, than, than Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons is very encounter focused. Call of Cthulhu is much more exploration focused and much more focused on investigation. And how do we find, these things although still i would say more encounter if you include investigation as encounter more encounter focused than say an osr type game which is much more hey you walk into a room and stuff starts happening and you deal with it you go walk into the next room more stuff happens you deal with it you go walk into the next room you know that's kind of to some extent what makes something more encounter focused than more exploration focused is almost the time you spend on encounters because if encounters take a long time if they're if they're big and engrossing you have to cut down on the exploration because your encounters need because that room you, you, you don't have time to get to them. Yeah. You, you can't do it all. You kind of need to make some choices. I don't, and I think the, I think fifth edition made some good choices that way. I did have a great time in 
riffs, although I barely remember it and probably don't remember how to play it. There are a ton of these things available free online. So anyone listening, I really do encourage you, you know, do some Googling around because there's some really cool stuff out there. But I mean, it, it does bring up that question of, does it make more sense to try to mod 5th edition to be like the game you want to play or to just go find a game that's more like the game you want to play if you can? Well, one uh, thing that I've noticed, like, for example, like if we're playing Rifts or playing the classic Marvel system, where strength can be a really huge element of the game like i'm gonna pick up this car you know i want unearthly strength <laughs> yeah right unearthly strength to dave he gets a 100 strength oh, yes, right. that's how much thor has i am very strong it's also how much the hulk has but his goes up every round when he's taking damage and he gets angry yeah <laughs> he could go to class 1000 i think or beyond Something ridiculous like that, because you know, that, that works there. But in D&D, for 5E now, I mean, when you have greater strength, like, for example, if you have an 18 strength, you're, you're attacking at uh, plus four. And if you have the strength of a fire giant, which is incredibly intense, you're actually only doing three more damage. Now, the advantage in there is you're much more accurate with your attacks. But you're not, like, throwing people up into the air with these attacks, mm. even if your strength is vastly multiplied. And also, your strength's tied to your size now. So it's not like I'm just going to grab a car, throw it on my shoulder, and go run with it. No, you're not. You know, it's funny because as much as we think of D&D as a high fantasy setting, it is a high fantasy setting with very specific limits on how far you're able to push it. Like, they really did dial back Wish. Wish is, an, you know, Breaks my remake, heart. remake an 8th level spell or lower, or you can reshape reality, but the, it's up to the DM, and you might lose the ability to cast Wishes again. So don't be, you know, don't be a prick about it. In some ways, due to Wish shenanigans I've seen in past games, I like this. On the other <laughs> hand... Mm. I get what you're saying, Tony. You can never be strong enough to pick up that castle and throw it into space. You can't do stuff like that in 5th edition. Well, I wouldn't recommend that. Um, <laughs> but, I mean... Where will fact, you sleep at that point? I mean, Right? When the no my castle Hulk on, or like no your... one's going Hulk on the Sarkaloth where they pick up the crack on, on the Kraken, where they pick him up by two tentacles, spin him around, and throw him into the sun. You can't do that in 5th edition. And maybe you shouldn't with that. Like previously, at least there was some, the, the wish spell could replicate any other spell. So if you're going to burn this spell and drain your energy to the ground, I could do anything else. And now they're like, mm, not so much. I do understand how that spell could absolutely throw the entire tempo of your game off. Like, mm. for example, like in Thorne's game, like here comes Strahd's army. I wish they, uh, it was raining holy water. I mean, you know, they're sorry, Strahd. Well, you, you did that. I mean, what you did in the one game, what the 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 we talked about the this game a little bit <laughs> I, at the very high levels. The priest. This is a game where we had taken magic away from them and sent them to another world, and they had to bring magic back to that world, and they came back with their gifts from their deities for restoring worship. And uh, the priest had divine wish, which we had played. It could do literally anything you wished for. So flight of dragons, army of dragons coming in. And, you know, you guys wished all the dragons turned to stone. And they did. And they fell. And that was it. <laughs> that was the mm -hmm. end of the great dragon war. And that was, you know, that was fine by me. I thought it was great. To be so fair, I, I warned I the chief him. dragon. I'm like, dude, don't do this. And he wasn't having it. You did. And they came it. anyway. Because, I mean, there are an army of dragons. What do they have to fear? Well, divine wish. It was once per year. It was very limited. You go into it once per year. And that's where I think limited wish and a full wish need to be separated because I, I have a hard time with this also because, I, you know, you're in the Cave of Wonders. You find Aladdin's lamp 
And the genie comes out and he's, he does the whole, you know, you never had a friend like me song. And I'm like, I wish for a staff of the Magi. It's like, no, son, I'm sorry. That's a very powerful legendary item. Here's a map to where it is. What the? <laughs> Robin Williams, what are you doing to me here? What kind of low budget genie is this? <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was also that was part of the way I, I was running it too. I didn't need to do it that way. Although I think that there was guidance in the game that I pulled that from when I because there was a wish that showed up in one of the games Tony played with me. It was from a deck of many things, you know. Yeah, it, he would tell them how to find the things they wanted. He wasn't just bringing him a staff of the magic. That's how I played it. That's how I did. And we were level five at the time, so my character probably shouldn't have had a staff of the Magi, to be perfectly honest. That's it seems it's like okay, and uh, the party fighter's got his plus one mace, and he's really kicking ass, and yeah, I got my staff of the Magi, huh? This is an unbalanced. I'm sure you'll find something as cool as this in twelve games. No, well, probably not. So, what are some things you do to really kind of in your games? What are some things you do to try to show off what fifth edition does well? I mean, I will say like so. so in putting this in after this conversation on social media and thinking this through and kind of coming into this episode, I, I've been paying some attention to it, especially on D20. But even before then, I really do DM fifth edition by planning encounters. I mean, I also know where they are. I also know, like, like I, I like there's, there's, there's the environment. I'm describing the environment. I'm describing what they're doing. I'm describing what they're saying. But my prep time is almost entirely planning encounters you know is that what i mean that, that's kind of how i lean into what fifth edition does well is that i know they're coming with their toys they want to fight i know i want to play with neat monsters i'm planning the monsters i'm going to use where i'm going to use them how i'm going to use them what the, what the players might do like that really is kind of me leaning into what the system does well i mean what do you guys find how, how do you kind of emphasize how do you kind of lean into it well I, I mean, I really am an enormous fan of the milestone system, and that way it gives me the opportunity to plan my beginning and my end. And I say, guys, I don't care how you get to the end. You want to punch your way and kick and chop and slice and stab your way through all the monsters? They're there. You want to sneak your way in? Give it a shot, but the fighter's loud. You want to talk your way in? <laughs> Go ahead, you know, get your throat spray, get your lozenges, uh, practice your vocal core, do practice a few bars and, you know, try to sweet talk your way in. And once you reach there, it's like uh, I, I we've gotten away from the old motif of I need you to kill X amount of shit to level up. That's what I think this edition does. Although don't know that we level by getting to point B. So we are definitely going in thinking, hey, we just need to get to point B, not let's, hey, stop and check everything out. And you want to stop and check everything out. You may miss some things. You may find some items. You may find some clues. Maybe that my, maybe that point B is finding that clue. But you don't necessarily have to hunt down every mother-loving monster in the universe like some of my players have. And it's ridiculous. Like, you're chasing this guy for, like, you're, you know, all across the county because he, you know, this orc got away. It's not relevant. You know, I will remind you of something you said in the previous episode. We had talked about the players trying to find extra treasure, trying to talk people into paying them more. And you did say... It didn't matter to you because, look, you're getting the X amount of treasure today. I don't care where you find it. Go ahead. Talk plus, them up plus with more or money. Minus, uh, yeah. It, yeah. That's, that's, it was my exact two, words. two grand on the reward. It doesn't matter. It's just coming out of the total treasure anyway. So that I'm really missing anything verbatim. by not exploring. I mean, we you have taught us not to explore move the football well i have to say this come from being in games where i have i i i and i like that i am a player in other games and i actually and again having an npc in my own games because i just there's times where i'm like come on guys where it's like we're in a town and these guys would like oh here's a chap let's interview them 
we're talking and we're talking to somebody else. Then we're going back to a guy to ask him questions. And I'm like, we're never going to fight anything this game. Holy <laughs> shit. What? What is even happening right now? Especially when to say, we generally do run games that have at least one or two fights in them. We are not a party. Every now and then you'll see people talk about how their party goes games and games without fighting. None of our games fit that mold. Maybe it's because we're all kind of similar kind of people. We're all, you know, similar age. So we come at this from the old school D&D ways. We do all do fighting almost pretty much every session. Yeah. So it's it's not, I would say, I don't want you to explore but, like, I've played both angles of that. Like, you know, there was a point, you know, in these in all these modules where I was like, yeah, go check out that brick. Do you really want your players fine-tooth combing, exploring, magnifying glass, feeling around mm-hmm. every room? Sometimes it's good for the flavor. You drop that key hint and you kind of, like, bring them to that with a really good description of that fireplace and that brick. And other times it's like... You know, you're in a barracks. There's chests, there's beds, there's dead bugbears. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> what could have happened here? <laughs> it really, to me, it almost does, it does come down to you teach players how to play your games. And, like, we like to kind of say, well, you can do anything, but you've really, you're making choices that affect how your game plays out no matter what you do. Like, you can't help but direct it in some way. If you do what I do, and you make your combats a bit dangerous, and you really play up the tension between combat of are you going to get ambushed or not, your game slows down, people are really watching their back, and they're very conscious and very present, and they're constantly, they're in that moment, but it slogs a bit. It gets slower. That is because I've taught them to be slow or you might die. Uh, And Tony, Tony, in your games, you know, you've really kind of, you know, you've had the attitude of, well, you're going to get the treasure anyway, Beat the guys up. You don't need to kill everything. You don't need to be overly cautious. We're looking to get to the encounters and move the football. So we play in a way that moves the football. You know, we're not looking to get in extra rooms. We're looking to get to where we got to go to have the encounter to move on because we're trying to get through the story because that's kind of the way the game has taught us to play. You I've, know? Had, I've had that DM who was like, you, especially, he was like, you, had me you as a DM. didn't, yeah. you, you didn't. Uh, look uh, in that sarcophagus on the fourth floor, and if you had found that, there was the ring with the inscription, and it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, there was a fourth floor, like you know, and like li- and making a parody of, of something that happened in, in a in a uh, play-in game where the DM who. Uh, was like the the clue was on this planet that we had never even considered going to, and it's like oh, if you would have just gone to Alfax seventy two, all the, and gone to that one bar, you know that one cantina in the dry gulch there, it would all been clear to you. And it's like thanks. Well, there, there, one of the first articles we posted on the website was never let the roll, never let the dice run your game. It is all about that. Don't let the one thing the players miss or the one thing they kill, or the one house they burn down, ruin your game. you got to get them some there somehow, even if they didn't do what you thought they would do. And Dave, I'd say, you know, your game, it, it kind of teaches, like, it doesn't give out a ton of treasure, so there's not, like, a ton of items to try to dig up. And at the same time, most of the things we fight have been, I wouldn't say easy, but we wouldn't say easy to deal with the fights. So you, that kind of game is like, all right, we want to go, what's the biggest monster short of Strahd we can go fight? Let's go fight that monster. And that's kind of how that game plays, because you know, that's kind of what we've learned, right? We can handle pretty much anything we run into. There's not a lot of reason to look for treasure down the side roads, although there's some cool encounters. Go get it. You know, it's, it's you know, basically that's not so much kind of go, it's not so much get to the next move the football as it is. What's the biggest thing we can go punch in the face? 
let's go punch it in the face. Yeah, I mean, for me, the way I've been leaning into what 5e does best is running 5e published adventures. <laughs> um, that's, that's uh, I, I find that to be great. But what I do with that is I try to, I don't try to always do it the same way. So I don't always just, okay, you got to investigate every single room, mm-hmm. you know, but some of the things like when you guys were in the death house, I wanted you to do a lot of that because I wanted to create that. I wanted to create the tone of the game, which is, you know, that gothic uh, haunted house, creepy vibe, that kind of thing. But we've had times where it's been a lot of social and conversational stuff. And then times where it's nothing but combat and bloodshed. But I, I, what I like to always do with all my games is build the try the best I can to have a story built into it that the characters are part of. So tying them into that story in ways that makes them go, like if they, if I can get that moment of like, you know, you say like the, the one person's name or something, they go, wait, 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 who, you know, that type of thing, (laughs) like the, the, the big reveal kind of thing, you know, like the, the M night Shyamalan reveal or some shit, you know, the twist. Uh, so I, Blinsky, I think that Blinsky you know. is a bigger deal in our game than he is in regular games. I, pro- I mean, maybe, maybe <laughs> only because you guys have an artificer in the, in yeah, the, uh, yeah. in the thing. But, uh, but no, like stuff like that. I love when people go and talk to, you know, no name NPC number four, because that could turn into a whole thing. I want, I almost like that stuff to have where people are like, Oh my God, I don't want them to go into the hospital because then they're going to talk to the nurse. I got to figure out who the hell the nurse is and why, you know, <laughs> but like, I want that to happen because I want to see like, well, that could take it in a whole different way, whole different Dude, way. I think you, you should DM call Cthulhu because that is exactly what makes a good call Cthulhu. Just yeah. random, like, and just weirdo voices with randos that just. That's actually a good to, idea. They'll just talk to you for like 25 cool. so minutes. As long as you can work in the clues that kind of advance the plot. So, Tony, when I said that, you really kind of screwed your face up like, well, what are you going to say? Well, I mean, and well, as much as my special catchphrases, but uh, I think Dave and I are running very different games in the key respect where in his yeah. game, I'm more interested in what the characters are doing. And I feel like in my game, it's there's more of character building. So, and that's where... It, because his magic world is much lower and mine is much higher. So they they have different options with their characters in my game. But I feel like, I, and I don't want to say this, Dave, I don't really, I don't think items would really even add a whole lot to that game at all. No, and not we saying were, don't we put talk- any items. No, items. that's what we were talking about just like, I think last episode. And Thorne had said he would love to see it played out the way the book is actually is and i i agree because i kind of want to see like how does it actually play but yeah like i don't think items are they're cool and they're fun and some of them wildly overbalance certain encounters but we like, didn't find a, the song sword first. like a fucking lightsaber at level three or whatever but hey that's how if only it was a lightsaber how- and it wasn't dealing all that radiant damage to every vampire we run into oh just burn them down dude <laughs> but yeah no, I don't think items like we've said this before. They're they're cool because they are they're part of the whole game. They're part of the the idea of the fantasy setting. But 
I did, I dig it more in the way like, you know, like Tony, you always talk about Tolkien, you know, like they didn't just keep finding crazy shit. Like they found the swords in the, in the borough, you know, they had the ring obviously mm-hmm. and the mythical shirt, but dude, they went to like fucking level one to 20 and they had like three magic items. And that was between like nine motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's true. And we, I always talked about running a game like that, but my players would have hung me. Like if well, I was and, handing and out what balance, right? There's the balance to be. Well, found. it is sort of how I've done the Woodstock Wanderers actually, in that they kind of like if if you break down the Lord of the Rings items they got early on, they hit the barrow, they hit the barrows with the whites, and they each get a sword out of that, I think. Or at least a couple swords come out of that. At least, I mean, I know, yeah, I know like Frodo stuff. Glam Dragon Sting comes out of yeah. that. And then they hit Elrond, and Elrond gives them some healing and some Lemboss and stuff like that, some consumables. That's true, That's true. yeah. Okay. Then yeah. they hit Moria, I think. And it, is it Moria, or is it, uh, or what do they hit? Moria first, or do they hit um, Galadriel first? I think it's Moria before Galadriel, it's right? It's Moria, but because uh, Gandalf isn't with them when they hit Lothlorien. Right, right, right. So they hit the more they hit Moria where they get the mithril shirt. Um, no, he had the mithril shirt from Bilbo. From the Hobbit. So he got it. Oh, right you're right. You're right. You're yeah. right. I'm sorry. So they don't get anything till Lothlorien. So they get so some in the, cloaks in of the movie. Stuff, right? I think in the movie they give him the mithril shirt in Moria, don't they? No, 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 no. He has it, but they don't he realize it. he has it okay. until he gets jammed by the mountain troll. Okay, okay, so I'm forget. yeah. Okay, so they get nothing in Moria then, other than eventually- Oh, you're full of surprises, Master Vagon. But let me derail all these points here. The magic (laughs) items they give out in Tolkien are incredibly badass. Like the Mithril shirt, what's cool about that? It's unpierceable. Eat that mechanic, you know? (laughs) Yeah, but then he's got sting, it glows blue. You know, look, oh, Oh, I found a magic, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like, oh, I found a ring. What does this do? Uh, it's literally the most powerful magical item in the campaign world. The hobbits, they have that habit of stumbling into the good stuff. And I mean, you literally the- have it before level one. You- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and they hit Galadriel gives them some things, or Galadriel gives them some things, and then they go their separate ways, and they don't get a whole hell of a lot from then on, right? I mean... Uh, uh- but I mean, in Barovia, it makes a lot of sense to. I mean, there is magic items throughout the the whole thing, but it's not like like Tony with yours, like with Ilios, like yeah, you could have a magic shop. That would make no sense. Why would Strahd allow a magic shop to be like yeah. operating in it? You know, I mean, it's like wait, wait, what why don't we just running like, it? <laughs> why don't we just knock this dude over already? Like, what are we doing? You know? I will say so. I mean, it's it's funny because you, know, you guys both do characters well. I do feel like the Barovian characters are more memorable than the Storm King's Thunder characters. They're introduced earlier. They have more character. You kind of hit, you, you meet them more often. Whereas the Storm King's Thunder characters are a little more, hey, you're here. We're talking to you for this one session that we're moving on. I'm not going to remember what your name is. You know, so it does like that does change the nature of the game. Barovia, I'm a little more involved in the characters and what they need, like the NPC characters and what they and what we need to help them with. Like we're there to help save the day in Barovia In Storm King's Thunder. It does vacillate between being, hey, we got to rescue the Storm King so the giants don't destroy the human world. And uh, well, hey, let's go around and kill all the giants and take their stuff. So it's like but that's we also, a different like, vibe. Barovia, you don't have an airship. We're just flying away on an airship after each episode, right? Like, see you guys. You know, so there's not a chance to really recur the NPCs. 
but hopefully now we will have Baba Lasaga's hut to ride around in. That's my goal. After <laughs> that'll be fast. Yeah. Well, <laughs> doesn't need to be fast. It still has 30 feet. It still only moves 30 feet. <laughs> so, well, so it doesn't move any faster. But you know what we can do? We can now we can now take a long rest while walking in the hut. Because what's going to jump the hut, even in Barovia? It's, I mean, it, you know, I don't know if it's actually going to work for us. But you know, my barbarian's not going to make that call. We're doing it. Phineas wants to make it work. Phineas Phineas wants to All walk right. around the Baba Lasaga's hut just to thumb his nose at Strahd. That is Phineas's modus operandi. What'll bother Strahd the most? I don't think he'll like some adventurers coming in from outside, stealing Baba Lasaga's hut. And, you know, a bit, a bit of lore that hasn't come up in the game, but wasn't Baba Lasaga his nanny? Oh, uh, possibly. <laughs> possibly. Was you guys Strahd's will have to investigate the ruins of Barrel and stuff. I believe, I, I believe in, the, in the lore. I believe Baba Lasaga is the one, like, was Strahd's nanny and, like, taught him magic. You're gonna um, have to I'm going to tell you from my stride, that's, that's not right. What was that, Dave? You're going to have to investigate the ruins of Berez to see if you can unlock them. We're going to do that. We're going to do it, because I thought that was her deal. I thought she was connected to Strahd personally. So, you know, Phineas's whole deal is he really came in here wanting to really... He wants to ruin Strahd. He wants to make Strahd feel bad. It's a very, it's a very Ryan Philippe in danger in uh in what was that? A uh, cruel intentions kind of oh, character. Yeah. That's what he's going for. Okay. Oh, that really, that really opens the character up a lot. Doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's what he, that's why he wants to ride around in Baba Lasaga's hut. Yeah, just because he doesn't think Strahd's going to appreciate that we took Baba Lasaga's we'll hut. See. We'll see. I mean, I, we'll see. We'll see what the artificer can do or not do. We'll see. I don't think Strahd will give a hot shit, but that's my personal opinion. He's I think that so we were talking a little bit about some of, just to kind of bring it back onto where we were. Uh, one thing that I think uh, people have said is a problem, and, and we've all seen it now too, is some of the power creep and the balance that happens as people level up in the game too. Um, where, you know, it kind of goes back to the CR system and how, you know, some characters that, you know, like, for instance, Strahd, like, it it doesn't take much for the characters to finally get to a point where, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, yeah, there's no there's no challenge there, you know, even being an epic uh, hero, uh, epic villain like that, you know. Um, so, and I've seen other people say that as well, that once you kind of pass fifth level and then onwards, things can really start to get um, pretty yeah, unbalanced. I've heard they that. They say that's where it kind of starts. Yeah, because that's where the classes really open up. You know, is it, isn't the vampire lord a CR thirteen monster? Oh no 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 no! I'm not saying in terms of Strahd. I'm not saying. Oh, specifically. Okay. I'm saying just overall in terms yeah. of some of the balance between you know, um, between like you know, uh, legendary level uh, figures and parties. You know. So. Hmm. Yeah, I think Strahd has to care. I want Strahd to care, you know. It's his it's his world. He doesn't appreciate wow. us coming in there and you know and, and, and you know partying our way through it. That's we're ruining his aesthetic. <laughs> we'll, we'll deal with that one in a game. But uh, I, I found that yeah, the uh, if something does feel a little soft in some of these encounters with the CR, then you know we talked about how to like you know pad their hit points a little bit, yeah. increase the threat a little bit. Like, you shouldn't be rolling the trash and being like, well, that was easy. That's just sad if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
that's the one that I don't think it matters how powerful you think you are. That thing's still going to fucking eat you. The Tarascus and the monster. It's a natural disaster. Your players survive. Yeah. Like that's, I I heard, I saw players online going, oh man, for his CR, he's not really tough. And I'm like, what am I getting into? You know, I have not had a problem challenging my players at any level yet. There have been a couple encounters that went easy because I did something I didn't expect, which is great. I love seeing it, you know, but like, I just, uh, let me see, you guys are what? And in, in the Wanderers, you guys are level seven, right? You remember, Dave? Yeah, yeah. So four Umber Hulks, I feel like, gave the party a real run for its money. Dude, like, overly so, right? Like, we should be better than that, and we're just <laughs> I, not. I, like, I literally <laughs> just ran that encounter myself. Yeah, you did and the exact I, same proved, thing I did, like, like two weeks later. You did it differently. You did a little bit different with how you brought them out, but yeah. Yeah, but oh my god, we were getting our ass handed to us in Woodstock with the Umber Hulks, and I'm looking like, what the fuck is happening, dude? <laughs> like, we're just, well, we are Mr. Magoo's of D&D. That confusion gauge is no joke, man. That is no, a dangerous it's not. And you combine that with these guys come up from underneath you, and now the the, uh, the offensive line's falling apart, and the quarterback's getting sacked. Then that is really, and it showed in Dave's game. If you break their formation, all bets are off. All these guys are like, "I'm so tough." De- de- de. Guess what? Your striker's dead. Oh shit! You know, <laughs> they ate the wizard. Uh oh. Yeah, well, the wizard is nuts. He's casting fireball in a random direction, you know, that kind of stuff. And you brought the Umber Hulks <laughs> up right under us, which was dangerous. Yeah. I actually had, we were in an open room, the almost open room. The Umber Hulks came up right in the middle of us. I did the old, the party's in a narrow five foot wide tunnel where they're going single file and the Umber Hulks, and it's twisting and the Umber Hulks ambush them as they go around the twist from four different directions. And they start pulling characters off into the tunnels like the old school Umber Hulks used to, which was very, and then like, like the wizard had a lion in front of him who had to squeeze through the tunnels, which basically broke the party into because the lion's totally in the way. Yeah. I mean, I've not found it hard to challenge them. On the other hand, the, we also right before that did an Eidolon, which is the spirit that animates statues. And they did a, they, 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 that was also, that was challenging enough. It had four statues to jump between. They banished it. They wrecked it statues. He made them rebuild their statues before he would let him leave. <laughs> that was fun. I liked that. I don't know how they liked that. I liked that. He is such a dick. <laughs> well, to be fair, Umber Hulks are CR5s. So really, as I was doing this, I'm like, wow. Okay, so there's what? Six of us. There's four of them. Mm-hmm. Mm. And and they are tough CR5s. They, they really... Yeah. With with their you trying to make a DC I think fifteen uh, charisma yeah. save or something like that that's no freaking joke for all those players who were proficient in charisma for the sorcerer <laughs> and the bard they're rocking that that's fantastic yeah Dave yeah. was Dave uh, I was right. never, I, and I never had to do it because I was never near them I was actually I I was able to stay uh, far enough away the whole time thankfully all the yeah. the. The four guys up front, like, I think Faye was okay, but the other guys got the shit torn out of them. I forget. I think I got lucky with my saves. I think it was all it was. Also, like, they didn't have the reach to deal with his And and the one who was on me, what it was, was the one that was on me, I wasn't within his reach, and I hit him with the the menacing attack to frighten him, and then he turned around and started attacking the barbarian, which is fine by me, because I just stayed at pole arm's distance and just poked him to death. Although I missed a lot of attacks. I think I did avert my eyes at some point and missed some attacks yeah no joke so yeah so that's you know so i guess we are all kind of building into an encounter based game 
when we're playing fifth edition. Does that sound fair? Mm, I think so. The way you kind of put it out there, I think I would agree with that. Yeah, actually. So what are some things that, so we talked about what the, what fifth edition doesn't really do great. I think, you know, we're getting close to, to the end here. So why don't we just talk about what are some ways you've modified your games to make them do the things you want to do a little more than say fifth edition maybe natively does. Have you made any changes like that? Or have you modified your game to fit fifth edition more? Well, over the course of the conversation, we hit a few points um, where I threw out where uh, I think this was a little soft. And I think all of us have kind of contributed to that, like, you know, on our combats week. So Dave's throwing together a wrestling system. Thorne's working on uh, arms and equipment to give it some more depth. So it's like, well, what do I got to wear? Here's plate mail. That's <laughs> it. Don't ask for anything superior to that, plus or minus any styles. Forget about it. Where I'm like, well, where is my ability to get, you know, what am I, how am I spend my gold? Here's a magical item shop. Party, you got your gold, spend it as you will. There you have it. I allow people to learn skills outside of the system, if it makes sense. I agree, Dave. Like, you know what? I shouldn't, a guy shouldn't go to like a karate class for like a weekend. And he's like, all right, well, I'm a three sectional staff master now. Yeah. No, that, that's weak. I've also introduced mechanics where I've given out skill focuses where someone's trying to learn something. And I said, no, you don't have proficiency in it, but here's a plus two in that skill that doesn't move. And that's my answer uh, to that category. Yeah. Um, I generally try to play within the the general bounds of the system overall. Uh, even if it's something like the writing up the wrestling uh, rules the, and, and interesting grappling rules and stuff for Hawk, I still based it. I looked through like the because he's a barbarian and I looked through the monk because they're a striker uh, to see like what, you know, what would be fair that wouldn't, you know, completely dismiss another another uh, class let's say and that's actually been kind of fun you know especially the way tony's been playing it so i think it depends on the game and what the characters are doing and i think you can start to homebrew some stuff like that but there's so much to the system that i think you can still do it within the bounds to kind of see how they balanced it so that you don't completely blow you know one of the walls out on your game because you didn't realize what why they designed it that way. Yeah, I'm definitely a big fan of understanding what they did and why before I start messing with it. So I would say in my game, I have tried to lean into 5th edition more than I've tried to make it my own. I've tried to do more things that were like, okay, so, so, so here's what they want to do, here's what I want to do. Let's make this more encounter focused. Let's give them opportunities to use their abilities. Let's get into the to, to the monster manual and use the things I want to use from there. I have kind of built my game to focus that more than to focus on like re- a lot of exploration. Even though we've talked about how my game is more, you know, exploration focused, the players show up, they do what they want to do. I'm not actually taking the time to map that whole forest out because why bother? You go left, I'll tell you what's left, and we have some encounters over there. That is to me what I think D&D does well. So I think to me, like I'm leaning into it in that way. I'm embracing the encounter-focused nature of it, and you know, letting the players play with their abilities and play with some cool monster abilities that interact with the players in certain ways. And that's really how I'm leaning into it. At the same time, I'm not afraid to pull in a mechanic from outside, like the skill checks. Uh, we have definitely done some fourth edition style skill challenges, which I think are pretty much universally considered a good thing to pull in from fourth edition. I've seen Matt Colville has mentioned that right. being good. I think even. Um, uh, not Crawford, Chris Perkins, I think, mentioned that they were useful sometimes. I mean, it's a good thing to pull in the idea that you have a 
you have an encounter that is maybe not combat focused, but is skill focused. You need, you know, the players need to make so many successes for so many failures, gives them, give them some role play flexibility and how they want to approach it and the roles they want to use. Uh, I've done some of that and I am definitely going to be doing some adding in some different, like just, just home brewing some weapons, armor classes, those sorts of things. And just the way probably on the monster side first, the things that are a little more martially focused, you know, I do think like a good shield wall type of military unit should give a D and D party fits, even with area effect spells, some cool things like that. I think could be fun to play with. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be bringing those in a little bit, but I'd say I've adapted the fifth edition more than I've homebrewed around it in part. Cause that was the goal to learn fifth edition. That's what we started these games to do in part. Yeah. So that's really, that's really what I've done, how I've adapted. So, you know, let's, uh, let's wrap up with a round of final thoughts here. Any, what do you want listeners to remember about DMing with fifth edition and how you, you know, how you go about it? I think one of the advantages, uh, of this because it's not overly complicated is that if you want to add some mechanics then you can it doesn't really it doesn't slow down the hard drive too much and yeah. if you are going to homebrew something there are certain areas to be specifically very careful with which is the pluses of your character's attacks I think mm-hmm. that's a place I'd be a little ginger with. Because of the accuracy. Yeah, because that that really can give give the players an enormous advantage. Also, watching their uh, difficulty uh, ratings on their spells. So, yeah. like, you know, you, you don't want to have like, oh, I'm sorry, Dread Dragon, you got a CR 20. You have to make a check on a 24 against your wisdom, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that, well, you that'll bite you a... in the ass right quick. The Warlock in your game actually has DC 18 save saves on some of his that that, that, that his doesn't that doesn't seem right to me i'm gonna tell you right now he did I, you might want to take a look at that yeah he had some 18s i was like hold on i'm maxed out of the 60 yeah I, I i'm sorry I, i'm i'm running like 19 different monsters at the same time <laughs> but i'm gonna tell you the party wizard doesn't have that and i don't think my core stats lower than his but i digress as always look out for cheating players <laughs> Same ones, I think, as the, that I had in the beginning. 5e has really cast a wide net to bring a lot of people in. They really streamlined it, but they also made a very robust system that is tight. Generally speaking, especially like we were talking about with encounters, it's kind of encounters upon encounters. But if you have a question about what's happening in them, they probably covered it in some in some fashion. I wish I had started playing that. I wish I had started playing 5e when I came back instead of Pathfinder at first, at least, to allow for the ease of play. I love Pathfinder. I think there's a lot of great things about it. But I came back to D&D. I love Marvel, right? I came back to D&D. So I, I keep coming back to D&D, whatever edition I might be playing. So I think that says something about it. You know, there's just something, there's something to it. I don't know. There's lots of systems out there and they're all, they're awesome. Play whatever you want, but you know, D&D is kind of what started the whole damn thing. So. Well, and I guess for me, for my final thoughts, I would say the world is yours. You know, as a DM in any in any role-playing game, you can do anything you want. But I do think it helps you to approach it from the point of view of emphasizing what the system does well and trying to build upon that more than trying to force the system to do things that it doesn't do well. The Dungeon Master's Guide for 5th Edition, we didn't talk about it a whole lot. There are some really cool things in there. I think they did a great job with this. If you want to run a more Cthulhu-esque, players go insane kind of campaign, there's rules for a sanity stat, for a horror stat. If you want to play a campaign where honor is more important, there's rules for an honor stat. 
they do cover how to work some things in there that can make your game a little more like maybe what you're thinking of. However, if you want to go even more streamlined or on the other end, more complicated, I think you want to wind up in a situation where you maybe are better with other games. If you want to go more streamlined, more basic, you can maybe check out something like the um, uh, index card role-playing games, which is really literally you're playing uh, like all your stuff's on an index, all your each power's on an index card. Free game. You can go download it for free. Um, if you want something that's more old school, you've got things like Morkborg or, or basic fantasy role-playing game that are, you know, you can get kind of to a more old school kind of basic Dungeons and Dragons feel. And there's great stuff out there. Like, you know, we talked about Rift, we talked about Gurf, we talked about Call of Cthulhu that really build out different aspects of what you might want to do, where if you want to get into a crunchier game or Pathfinder, of course, if you want to get into something that's a little more crunchy, a little more, you know, wonky as far as building out broken, or not necessarily broken, but just interesting, unique characters using mechanics that are in the game, there's some other systems you can look at for that. It is your game, and I think the most important thing is just to make sure the players are having fun. And that means leaning into what they're trying to do, making you know, making sure that it meshes with what you want to do, or teaching them to play the game you want them to play the game. And we did try to hit. We're all teaching our players different play styles and their different feeling games because of what we teach the players with what we reward and what we don't. Mastering those things can make your game feel more like you want it to feel almost in any role. So keep that in mind. You know, it still really comes down to how you interact with your players. And on the rules side, you know, you got a lot of great tools to work with, both within D&D and from other games. So that's it for me. Guys, thanks a lot. It's great talking to you tonight. Wonderful. Good stuff, guys. And all of you at home listening, thanks again. We really appreciate all the attention and the and the time you've spent with us. Please check out the threewisedms.com website for even more content. The, all of our podcasts are articles. You can follow us any podcast or anywhere podcasts are served. You, if you have any questions, we would love to hear the kinds of things you'd like to hear us cover. You can either send us an email at threewisedms at gmail.com, fill out the what's your problem form on our website, or talk to us on Facebook and Twitter. We're very active there, and we're going to be getting more active on Instagram soon. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on Three Wise DMs. Thank you.